Welcome to another edition of The Education Game. My name is Matt Barnes, and I am here with my co-founder, Dr. Scott Van Beck. I feel like I should say that like you're coming off the, off of the, you know, onto the court. Dr. Scott Van Beck. Whatever uh, pleases you, Matt. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, guys, thanks for, for joining us for another conversation about the education game. Today, we've got an interview that we're going to talk through. It's with a, it's a grandparent. Um, Scott, you know, we have a lot of interactions with grandparents who are trying to figure out how they can help their grandkids. And so this is a woman named Michelle who's been called back into duty to help her daughter and her grandchild uh, through this virtual experience. Scott, tell me a little bit about, you know, one of the things that you have taught me is the importance of developing a plan for a child's education. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure, Matt. When uh, either a mom or uh, grandparents uh, send their uh, child or grandchild to these places called school, the school usually has a uh, has a plan, but that plan probably isn't as personalized as what that uh, parent or grandparent uh, would hope for for that child or grandchild. And uh, so the plan is usually concocted, uh, well, first by uh, a, uh, a group called the state legislatures uh, and then uh, the state board of education. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm really glad that uh, we have, you know, state legislators, you know, developing a plan for our kids. That's That makes me feel really comfortable. Yeah, well, uh, I think my experience with state legislators, uh, they take this whole idea that uh, most state constitutions uh, give public education as a uh, responsibility to the state mm-hmm. uh, just a bit too serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what you and I know, uh, like most other things, uh, the closer that you can get to the important relationship, uh, yeah. probably the better the outcome, right? That's right. That's right. So the relationship uh, should be between the parent, uh, the caregiver, uh, the child, and whoever can help um, get that kid to learn uh, at a deeper level. Right. And right. Uh, I don't think uh, state legislatures uh, probably uh, make uh, the top uh, 10 uh, on uh, <laughs> on that list, right? If, no, probably not. Probably not the top 10. Yeah. And then you got the State Board of Education. Then you got a school board. Uh, and then you have curriculum departments. And uh, by the time the learning plan gets to the kid, the kid nor the family have very much investment uh, in that learning plan. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of what traditional space looks like. Uh, But let's talk about an alternate uh, uh, opportunity. And that is imagine uh, families setting down uh, with expert learning designers and uh, those learning designers asking a set of questions uh, to that family, uh, most importantly to the learner, to the young learner, uh, about uh, some of their passions and some of their needs um, and uh, starting to build a learning plan uh, based upon uh, how that young learner and that family answer those questions. Right. Uh, very, very different than, uh, you know, the, the so-called learning plan 
uh, that comes out of uh, traditional schools. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Oh, I could not agree more. And you'll hear from the uh, interview in a few minutes uh, just how different it is. I mean, I, you you hit the nail on the head a couple times in that in that uh, description about the closer the learning and the closer the plan development to the actual learner, the more likely you're going to get positive results. Um, you know, one of the things I won't spoil the interview, but one of the things we talked about with uh, with Michelle is. You know, she's trying to figure out how do I engage this this grandson, and you know, it all it hinges back to the plan. What is he interested in? That's how you engage him, uh, and then build a learning plan around that those interests. Um, and yeah, that's some of what we talked about. So let's transition a little bit, Scott, because part of the plan, one of the one of the pieces of developing a learning plan, is making sure you have the right assets uh, to bear on that plan. Right? That's one of the things we talk about a lot. Um, and the language that we've come to use is this idea of, I mean, there's a bunch of assets you can bring. One of them though is people assets, specifically assistant coaches. So again, the the logic that we bring forth is that the parent operates as the head coach. The, uh, that's the person that makes sure that all the things are happening in the direction uh, that works for the child. Um, and that's part of our role is to help parents learn how to play that role. But then that parent brings in others, assistant coaches to help on this journey. And right now, again, Michelle is the assistant coach, the grandparent that's being brought in. Um, I think it's super, super smart for parents to be looking at more than just their family, but friends. And um, ideally, the teacher is actually part of the assistant coaching team. Um, But all of it is aimed at the plan. And so the assistant coach uh, in this case that we're talking to is the grandparent. Uh, and Scott, I don't know if you know this, but I, I oftentimes talk about the grandparent as the secret weapon. I'm not sure if you heard me mention that before. Yeah, we've talked about that, right? Grandparents, especially in this day and age where you have one or both uh, parents working, mm-hmm. uh, grandparents are a, uh, a very much of a uh, secret weapon in terms of their abilities and also their experience. That's right. Um, their wisdom. I remember when I was in HISD, we were trying to figure out how to tap into, uh, what we called, uh, gray haired intelligence. <laughs> and, um, we weren't really able to figure that out. And, uh, no, I think your, uh, coaching, uh, example is, is spot on. I, you know, what I was thinking about is, you know, when, when you send a kid into uh traditional school space, um, I don't think the parent would be identified as the head coach, right? Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think uh, I think the school system uh, designates uh, the teacher uh, right. or teachers right. uh, to be the head coach. And when you're an, an elementary learner, you do have a head coach. It's called your classroom teacher. Right. Uh, but when you move to secondary, right around the age of uh, 11 years old into middle school and high school, uh, you don't have uh, one head coach. You have seven to ten head coaches. That's right. And oftentimes those head coaches are sending completely different messages. All right. Yep. Yep. Well, so, Scott, let's go ahead and get into this interview. We're going to introduce Michelle and uh, the conversation that we've had with her. And thanks for listening to The Education Game. Back in a moment with Michelle.
Okay, I've got Michelle, who is a grandmother, calling in from Evanston, Illinois. Uh, Michelle, what can I help you with today? Well, uh, Matt, thank you for taking my call. My and, pleasure. Um, I'm an educator, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I know everything about education because m- my primary experience in education was teaching adults, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, initially adults who, who went to college late in life. And so they had some learning issues, especially attending skills and learning how to be, knowing how to be a student. And then in higher education, I was a teacher trainer and I just finished um, about a five-year run at the University of St. Thomas teaching writing to college students at both the undergraduate and the graduate level. Great so, program. My, yeah. my daughter attends there, actually. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a skill set that I think is helpful, but not my, uh, my target population was never what it's going to be for the next few weeks. I'm going to be oh. here for five weeks helping my uh, six-year-old first time in first grade grandson. All right. Begin begin his formal learning experience in a public school. Mm-hmm. He's just come from three months short of six years in a Montessori school. Gotcha. And transitioning to public school in the first grade. So yep. that's my dilemma. How okay. do I help him and help his mother? Right. Right. Well, uh, you're you're helping mom already because you being willing to play the role of, um, you know, support at this time is really incredible. So thank you for doing that. I know a lot of grandparents are getting recruited back into, into, into the front line, so to speak. Um, so thanks for that. So I think the first question or the first answer I'd give you your question of how do you support your, your daughter is you're doing it. So you're doing it already. I mean, I know having, having you there is going to bring a lot of relief. Now, how do you do it? Well, right. That's the next question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, someone who's been in education a long time, but you've been in higher ed. So this is actually maybe a little interesting because um, I have been advocating as we move to learning at home that we don't just do what schools have always done, right? Which, which is essentially, here's the content. We're going to force feed these kids the content, whether they like it or not. The content has been developed by bureaucrats a thousand miles away. Um, and the pace of learning has been de- defined by, you know, again, oftentimes bureaucrats someplace else. And, but at home, you have a completely different environment. So it's, it's, it is not homeschooling, but it's similar. But the thing that I generally will coach folks is to not think about taking a school and, and bringing it home, right? Okay. The rigidity of school means that at nine o'clock, you're going to do reading at 10 o'clock, you're going to do math. And at 1045, you're going to, you know, that is that works and it's required in an institution because if you don't have that, you've got kids that are running the roost. It's it's like the you know uh, yeah it's it just it's it's an it's an absolute mess, right? So instead, what I recommend, uh, particularly someone like yourself, is to start by asking your granddaughter the killer question. That is the question that I think is never asked enough, and that is, what are you, son, daughter, grandson? Grand, by the way, it's grandson or granddaughter. I can't recall. Grandson. grandson. What are you grandson really curious about? What mm-hmm. you can even watch him and start to get a sense of some of that. What what kind of books does he gravitate to? 
You know, if he's a TV show guy, what kind of TV shows, if he's building things, what is he building? Those are hints at a child who has natural curiosity. You know, one of the other questions that I challenge parents to ask themselves uh, as they try to shift from a school model of education to a learner model of education is, is, is the question of, is your child naturally curious or naturally lazy? <laughs> Depending on how you answer that question will lead you in two very different ways. Because if they're naturally lazy, then they need to be told what to do. They need to have a very clear structure and, you know, uh, you know consequences for every behavior because they're not going to do it. On. But if you think that they're naturally curious, which if you watch your grandson for any length of time, you know that the answer is he's absolutely curious. Now it's a question of how do you support that curiosity and build a curriculum around it in a way that also meets these, un- some for- in, in some cases, arcane um, requirements that your school will impose on the child. So, but again, now down to the details of your challenge of, of kind of training up a six-year-old when you're used to working with 16 or, or, or even, you know, Older. 36, right? 36-year-old. Um, if you ask that question, what are you curious about? Then I would encourage you and he to begin crafting out what the day would look like. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach, empower your child, your grandchild, to be an independent learner. And one way to do that is to constantly ask questions of him, but you're working with him to answer those questions thoughtfully. So again, um, you know, maybe day one or maybe actually ideally before you actually start a curriculum, you'd say, all right, what are you curious about? Let's talk about what the day could look like then. If you're curious, you know, don't dinosaur, I'll just pick dinosaurs, right? You're curious about dinosaurs? Okay. Let's talk about what our day could look like related to dinosaurs. Well, we could read about dinosaurs. We could draw pictures of dinosaurs. We could, um, you know, I don't know if you're into documentaries, we could watch a documentary about dinosaurs. Um, we could, uh, we could even count dinosaurs, right? So you can, you can kind of keep layering <laughs> lots of different activities onto what a day might look like. Um, that may be overkill, frankly, (laughs) that much dinosaurs might be too much. But (laughs) the point is that you're trying to get him to help you craft what the day looks like. Once he helps to craft it, guess what? He's going to be much more engaged in it and much more bought in to the idea of at 10 o'clock. Yeah, we're going to switch from, you know, reading about things to, you know, working on some some other activity. So that's the first piece, the, the idea of sitting down and actually negotiating with the grant, your grandchild about what a day could look like. So the next part is thinking about the four or maybe five types of, of activities that will happen for a, for a child this age. And I break them up like this. We have couch time, and that's time when you might be reading a book. Maybe again, I'm not a big fan of screens, but if you are into screens and you you don't mind watching a documentary, that that that's that would count as couch time. But again, I tend to discourage screens as much as we can. So that's yeah. couch time. The next one is table time. Table time is when you might do, be doing something like math, right? When you need something to write on. Certainly, if you're uh, developing writing skills, you need a table to, to write on. Um, so then you have table time. And then next you have uh, what I would call carpet time or floor time. And that's when the child's on the floor playing blo- with blocks, building something, uh, maybe coloring again on the floor. Right? So that's a different type of experience. 
And then there's garden time or yard time or park time, something that's outside with a different type of environment, different type of place to learn. And then the last one is probably sleep time. (laughs) They may not be learning much there, but um, if the day is going well, they definitely need to have some time for downtime as well as you needing to have time for downtime because it can be kind of tiring to do some of these things. So if you think about those five categories, that's kind of how the day might go. Some element of couch time, some element of floor time, some element of table time, park time, garden time, et cetera, right? And if you think about those buckets, toggling between those buckets is a great way to keep a child active and engaged and to create some structure that may be easier for the child to understand and also for the child to kind of get behind, right? Okay. Couch time, table time, et cetera. And it, the order doesn't really matter as long as, uh, as, as, as there's a conversation about those areas. And again, that's also an interesting way to describe how the day might look to a six-year-old. You know, we're going to have couch time and then we'll table time, et cetera, right? Okay. Um, is that helpful so far? Yes. Um, Did you have a question? It does raise a question because yeah. um, now we, it, even though he's going to be at home, he's going to be linked to his school. Yes, 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 yes. And okay. while it sounds like it's a relatively progressive school, it's still a school. Right. And, and they have there, a you know, modules and schedules and requirements mm-hmm. and expectations yep. and all of that. So how do you, how do you, uh, transition between the two. I mean, obviously, we want to be compliant with the expectations laid out by the school, but by the same token, be mindful of his very unique learning needs. He Absolutely. is curious. He's yep. very creative yep. and has, has a streak of laziness because something he doesn't like, he walks away from. He does, he's not, his persistence level is not quite there, but he's, he's also six years old. Sure, sure. So um, how, how do you straddle those camps? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Let me go to a quick break and we'll pick it up in a moment. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. Just sit tight. Okay, we're back with Michelle, who is a grandparent who I I always call grandparents the secret weapon because (laughs) an effective and engaged grandparent can just be transformational for a child. And so Michelle is has been recruited back into the trenches to help with her six year old grandson. And Michelle has a lot of experience in education, but never with this age. And so we're having a conversation about that. I gave Michelle some examples of how to structure the day, and she came back with a very thoughtful, uh, obviously an educator, uh, uh, thoughtful question of, well, how do you marry these flexible learning experiences that you ideally would have at home with these somewhat inflexible learning requirements that your school might impose on the 
sure. uh, parent and child. And did I get that correctly, Michelle? Yeah, exactly. Great. So here is how I tend to talk through how to deal with that. So yes, the school is going to be operating on a schedule, not much differently, frankly, than how they maybe maybe operated, you know, last year at this time. So you know, ten o'clock is math, and eleven o'clock is reading, or whatever it might be. So the first question is one of conversation with the teacher. And so as soon as possible, getting into a conversation, discussion with the teacher around what their expectations are. And so in that conversation, you might get a sense of a rigid instructor that is really doesn't feel like they have much freedom to flex and to negotiate with you or a teacher who says something like, hey, this is a weird moment and I'm going to do these things. But some of these things are going to be somewhat flexible, and so I want to work with you, right? That ideally, that's what, who, you're, who you're going to have as a teacher. And so ne- once you hear what their expectations are, now you begin the, your negotiation. Mm-hmm. So I have heard some, gosh, this is really horrifying, but I've heard some parents talk about schools expecting kids to be on screen for three or four hours. Oh, and that just does not make any sense whatsoever. I, I get crazy on these Zoom calls after I spend an hour and a half on them, right? Two hours is, just makes me nuts. So at, to ask a six or an eight-year-old, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So um, what the negotiation looks like is you are learning your grandson. She doesn't, or he or she, the teacher doesn't know your grandson. You're going to need to also explain uh, not only the personality of your grandson, but the environment that you're in. Right. You know, um, uh, you know maybe you had multiple kids, right? That's that's a a a, a critical dis, uh, inf- information point that ha- would help a teacher understand what the challenges are. Your grandmother being recruited back into service, you have very different, um, you know, um, cultural and educational experiences. Uh, you have the ability to lead your child's learning in a way that a lot of kids don't have. And so if the teacher knows some of this about you and your home, she might say, okay, given who you are, Michelle, I'm comfortable with you taking more of the responsibility for these areas. But Michelle, I'm going to need to make sure that these things get done, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the negotiation. What What does your teacher need and what do you need to make everybody feels successful. Okay. Now that negotiation may break down, but I, I would, I would be very surprised uh, because you're seem like a reasonable person. Most teachers at their core, they want the kids to be successful. And so if you tell the teacher that I've got a plan and here's what we're going to be working on and teacher, give me the minimum expectations, like the, the essential activities that we need to get done every day. I'll, I'll make sure they get done. Teacher, you can trust that's going to get done. Most teachers are very comfortable saying, great, gosh, I'm so glad because the child is going to be well taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. But that negotiation needs to happen early so that teacher's not surprised when the child's not showing up on the Zoom calls, right? Or the child is not completing certain assignments that you deem to be wasteful or non-essential. Um, when, and in fact, the child is out learning science or doing other things that you're under your, uh, under your leadership. Um, so that negotiation is a really important one, and that should start as soon as you're able to k- get connected with the teacher. Does that help? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's, again, it's the very, so I just was writing a blog post about the shifting power dynamic here. That's what we're really talking about. 
parents now, and in your, your case, grandparents now have uh, authority to really say to a school, you know what, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I can't. I, I've got yeah. three kids or, or, or I'm working or, you know, uh, so I, I'm not going to do that. But I can do these things and can do them well. Uh, but that if that negotiation negotiation happens early, then you can figure out a way to to not create too much stress or or, or conflict about it. Sure. All right. Now the other part of this is, um, and I mentioned it, the the content that the school is going to be delivering. Oftentimes, a school is trying to replicate in person school into a home environment. So they may have seven hours or six hours of activities that they're expecting get gets done every day. And again, especially for a child coming from a, a Montessori model, content is not the point. The point is to teach the child the skills of the habits of life that will make them successful long-term. Questioning, right. investigation, uh, curiosity, things like that. Um, so so be careful if if you're hearing feedback from the teacher saying, you know, we're going to have your child busy all day long. That is that is, in my view, um, a really terrible direction to go, but that's where the negotiation would need to start. And then, by the way, so back to the timing of this, you also would need to have clarity about what times, not only what activities are essential uh, for the teacher that, you, that your child participates in, but also what times during the day those will be so that when you're creating your schedule with your grandson, um, you're able to say, oh, we it can't do um, you know couch time at that point because we're going to be connecting with your school for you know fifteen or twenty minutes or thirty minutes. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's 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 going to be delicate and it's going to be something that will have to be worked through over you know the first couple of weeks. But you're going to get into a rhythm of it. Okay. So the other part about this though, no. So back to you and your interaction with your with your grandson. Have you played the role of kind of uh, what I would call a learning coach before? Or like, what's your relationship now with, with him? Is it more social? Or is it authoritative? What are, you, what are you looking at? It's a combination. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when uh, for years when I've been here, um, and my visits have usually been short, mm-hmm. uh, it's been to spell my daughter while she's at work or away on business. Yeah, and um, we have this nice combination of uh, I, I, he know I'm the boss. He knows that, mm, mm-hmm. and, and we have a certain set of rules Excellent. that we both follow. And then I try to accommodate wherever possible what his interests are, as long as they're within the confines of the rules we both set. Excellent, excellent, so, excellent. Yeah, you know, I feel I, fortunate. I have a really good relationship with him. Yeah. Well, and I want other grandparents who are listening to this call to to appreciate what was just said, which is that grandma in this case, and probably in some some way, because you have been an educator, particularly in higher education, you've seen what happens when kids are not well developed from early on, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but Michelle is is creating a, a different relationship really before now with her grandson which is really about her, Michelle, being a coach, a, a teacher, a, an advisor, or what I would call a learning coach. Um, and that relationship is so different than what a lot of grandparents default to, which is the, the person that gives toys. 
right? Or the person that lets the child do whatever they want. And that in many ways is actually crippling a grandchild. uh, And many grandparents don't even realize that. So as the, as like yourself, if grandparents start to realize, oh yeah, I do have a role in the long-term development of this child. uh, I've got to play that role. It will sound much more like how you described your relationship with your grandchild. So congratulations and, and great for you to, to, to establish that before now. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. and what has also helped me, again, giving credit, is the foundational experience he had in Montessori. Ah. And you set rule, you know, you set, uh, you follow a pace, mm-hmm. you, uh, if you take something out, you put it back, you clean up after yourself, you help your partner, your partner helps you, you yeah. know, all yeah. those pluses that many of which came out of that wonderful book called Everything I Know I Learned in Kindergarten. <laughs> oh, right, right. Great book. Uh, well, yeah. and well, the other part of what I'm hearing is in the school that your child was in, they really focused on something called the 16 habits of the mind. I'm not sure if you've right. heard that concept before. Yeah. Things like persistence, working together as a team, following through on uh, accuracy is another, <laughs> another big thing for that. So those are, those are, that's really interesting. So now he's maybe, he might be moving into an environment where with you, he can continue that. I will tell you that it may be challenging if, and when he goes back into a traditional structured school, there can be some real hard, hard to adjustment period for, for a kid who's used to kind of owning more of their own learning. So hold on tight. We're going to, we need to take one last break here, and when we get back, we'll wrap things up with uh, a couple final plays of the day, okay? So just stay tuned. We're back with Michelle. Michelle and I talked about a variety of things, you know, um, and Michelle, I'm going to, I think we're, we're done. So we'll just connect again later. Thanks so much for the call, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And you'll be sending out messages about your next web webinars coming up. I will check your email. It'll come out. Thank you so much. Great to see you and good luck. Thanks a lot. Uh, you know, Scott, I got to tell you, I am just so pumped whenever I hear about a grandparent who is willing and able to re-engage. And as you heard from Michelle, she's the type of grandparent that recognizes her responsibility to her grandchild is not just for playtime. It's actually to help get that child ready for a brighter future. Um, it's amazing how often we miss that opportunity. But, uh, but for all the folks listening, start to really think hard about your family members uh, and others who might be able to be brought in as assistant coaches on this journey. Yeah, so Matt, uh, just listening to that uh, interview, uh, yeah. Michelle, uh, uh, Michelle's story is compelling, right? That yeah. uh, uh, here is a, uh, a grandparent uh, already raised a, a, a child or a, a few, yep. uh, and now she's uh, reinvesting um, in, a, uh, in, in, in another youngster. And uh, it, it kind of put... Uh, it reminds me of a uh, leadership model uh, I learned uh, uh, a while ago. And this uh, leadership model is called Acres of Diamonds. Hmm. And uh, what Acres of Diamonds tells us is that oftentimes as uh, 
as Americans, uh, we look outward uh, to find our solutions. So we'll hire consultants. Uh, we'll, you know, try to do, you know, find something on the on the web. Um, you know, we we're always looking for the experts. But what Acres of Diamond says is that if you just look out your back window in your backyard. Uh, and then look out your front window to your front uh, front street. Uh, there's acres of diamonds all around you. And those acres of diamonds are people like grandmas, uncles, uh, the, the guy that delivers the mail, uh, small business owners that you, you know, come into contact every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, just imagine what a, a, a learning opportunity might look like if we started to utilize not only Michelle as the grandparent, but all those people that are around Michelle uh, and around uh, that, uh, you know, around uh, Michelle's uh, grandchild, it's, it's really a, uh, it's a different way of looking at it, but I find it way more encouraging. Oh yeah. uh, And way more hopeful. Wow. And you know, Scott, I kind of feel like I need to call Michelle back and, and share some of this because you just, pointed out that not only the kids that are around, uh, you know, the child's home, but now you're bringing a grandparent in and the grandparent has a network as well, right? So I have no doubt that Michelle has friends and relatives or probably friends and colleagues or former colleagues in, you know, all sorts of types of industries. That gives, that's part of the learning assets that could be brought to bear on this child's, you know, learning experience, right? Well, let's just do the math. Matt, uh, I'm guessing that uh, Michelle's uh, grandchild is going to be sent to a, a classroom where a teacher has, uh, you know, on, on average, somewhere between three to five years of teaching experience. Mm-hmm. Compare that with uh, a grandma who's uh, uh, been around for a while, uh, has lived in the same uh, area for a while, and uh, have the grandma has built all of these relationships, right? Right. right. What a wonderful opportunity to have that young, uh, that young uh, uh, grandchild uh, have, have the opportunity to meet some of those people and interact with some of those people. Yes. Yes. And, and Scott, you know, the other thing about this is, you know, now that, um, you know, virtual connections are becoming more normal not only can Michelle connect her grandchild physically with some of these contacts, but these could be part of the virtual um, uh, exhibition that the child might do. Like, so if the child is learning about, again, one of the things we talked about, and as you remember in the, uh, in the conversation with Michelle was about the child learning about dinosaurs. Why couldn't uh, at the end of a week, that child share via Zoom with three or four other family members, friends, uh, Michelle's colleagues about dinosaurs. And I'll be willing to bet that someone in Michelle's contacts has some knowledge about dinosaurs. This is, it's so amazing how these contacts actually work. But, um, but right, it could be this incredible learning opportunity to present to you know, Michelle's network, but also to learn from it. And again, you, like you said, the, the acres of diamonds, that idea is one that we always tend to forget, and that's to our own detriment. 
Wow. Well, and we don't want to forget. Yeah, we sure don't want to forget the the acres of diamonds uh, model. Uh, if uh, if we're going to invest in out of school learning, uh, mm-hmm. because that is really a shift um, from going to a place where uh, where uh, adults are going to deliver information uh, to making a shift. Uh, to a much, much uh, wider place, uh, the, the out-of-school place, if you will, um, that uh, offers just a tremendous uh, amount of resources. But the last thing I'm going to say on this, Matt, is that's why the learning plan is so important. There's mm. there's so much resource. There's such uh, opportunity outside of school. Uh, you really need to de- develop a plan so that you focus in on, you know, the most important things uh, that the uh, child or grandchild are going to learn at at that moment in time. Give me one firm first step that a parent can take in order to begin framing out this learning plan. I know the plan can seem daunting to families, but it doesn't have to be. Scott, do you have something in mind that could be a a simple first step for a parent to uh, uh, to begin on this journey of building a plan? Yeah, uh, it's a simple question. Um, so what are you interested in learning? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, uh, just listen to what the answer is. Um, and if uh, the young learner is sort of stumbling uh, around what that answer sounds like, uh, why don't you as the adult learner step in and say, you know what? Um, let me share what I'm, what, what I'm uh, learning about right now. Right. Um, and so provide an example to that young learner. Uh, and you know what, if the young learner cannot, uh, define what that, you know, what that, uh, subject is or what that topic is, it's okay. Right. Uh, just give it some time, coach into the question and I am going to, pretty much lay my reputation that, you know, within the next, you know, three to five days, uh, you're going to have an answer. Yep. That's right. Well, I love the idea too, Scott, that as you're asking the question, it's not just what are you child are interested in? What are you interested in learning about? But what am I interested in learning to as well? So you're modeling a behavior that you want your child to develop. That's always smart. Um, uh, if you're trying to teach a child to actually model the behavior uh, concurrently or, or in advance. So that's, that's great advice. So, so parents, I hope you heard that. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's don't forget about what the end goal on all of this is. And it mm-hmm. is lifelong learning. That's right. Both that's right. at the young level, at the adult level, that's lifelong right. learning. That's right. I hope so. Parents, I hope you're hearing this. I hope you're taking this one piece of advice of asking that question, child, what are you interested in learning about? Uh, And then building out your own answer to that question so the child can see you working through this as well, because ultimately you want that child to, when they're older, uh, to have these same curiosities and and to continue pursuing learning because that is what a lifelong learner actually does. So that's it for today. I want to personally thank all of you for taking the time to, to listen to the show today. Uh, Dr. Scott and I are so honored that you would join us. Hopefully some of what you heard can be of value to you and your children. The Education Game is brought to you by Community Health Choice and produced by Pottery Studios. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and learn more about the show at theeducationgame.com. And there you can also sign up for one of our webinars. Scott and I do webinars twice a month on, on a variety of educational topics and very well attended, lots of parent, parent conversations and questions and answers. And we can even schedule time to call into the show to speak with myself or Scott directly. Uh, again, the website is theeducationgame.com. Our guest this week was Michelle, a grandparent, one of the many secret weapons out there helping their grandchild. Uh, our producer for the show is Bo York. I've been your host, Matt Barnes. Scott, Dr. Scott is the other co-host for this show. And we look forward to speaking with you again very soon right here on The Education Game. Thanks. Mm-hmm.